Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Well, hello, it's great to be with you on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're going to come around the Bible. Uh, it's great to be gathering where you are, to be really honest with you. Looking forward to gathering again as the church in the way that the Bible talks about the way that God instructed us to and encouraged us to. Uh, but in the, in the midst of everything going on, I'm extremely thankful, I'm sure you are, that we can gather in this way, looking forward to the day when we can gather in the way that he, he would call us to. It's going to be a great party when we emerge out of this. We're thankful right now for the way the government, our government is leading us. We're thankful for uh, how things are right now in terms of the uh, crisis we find ourselves in. We give thanks to God that we're in this incredible nation being led as we are as at this time. Well, let's come to Resurrection Sunday and, and let's talk from the Scriptures. I think it's going to be really, actually more than helpful. I think it's going to be powerful. I think it's potentially profound in your life today uh, as we start to talk. Here's the first question. What does the cross and the resurrection, what does the cross and resurrection have to do with you? And what are you going to do with that? What has the cross and the resurrection got to do with, with you? And what are you going to do with that? Now, if you're a believer, you're tempted to just take a step back because you're like, well, I know about the cross now. I want you to stay with me today because I want to speak to the, the devoted believer. I want, us to, uh, I want you who are here, maybe you wouldn't call yourself that. You're, you're a thinker. You're thinking deeply about the things of God. Uh, wherever we are today, there's something in this for you. What has the cross and the resurrection got to do with you? And what are you going to do with that? Um, 2,000 years ago, something happened. That's, I mean, that is undeniable fact. Something happened and, and, and it's changed the world ever since. Uh, something happened that shifted everything. Uh, something happened that, that a Jewish carpenter from a backwater community became worshipped by billions of people around the world and across the ages. And, and, and something happened that, that by the time Christianity, or by the time people left the first century, Christianity was already reshaping the culture. It was transforming communities. It was revolutionising the world as they knew it. There's this little story of, uh, to give you an idea, the, the first century was just a depraved world in many ways. And if you were a poor child on the street, you were left to your own resources. You know, the Christians, understanding the teaching of Jesus, they would take in the street kids and feed them and clothe them and, and sometimes house them. And, and it was such a foreign idea that the rumor spread that the Christians would eat the children because no one could fathom the idea that you would take those in and help them. Christianity revolutionized its world. It shifted its culture. It changed the paradigm before it even left the first century. Something happened. Something happened, but what? So Jesus, the Bible, trusted historical documents, um, eyewitness accounts, all point to the resurrection as being what happened. And, 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 and something significant had to have happened for what unfolded to come. They point to Jesus, the Bible, historical 
um, accounts and historical documents and the eyewitnesses. More than 500 living eyewitnesses point to the resurrection as what happened. And it, and it kind of makes sense. Three days after Jesus' crucifixion, the resurrection happened and everything shifted. That's what happened. Three days after Jesus' crucifixion and death, the resurrection happened and everything shifted and has been ever since. In the first century, across the ages, around the world, our nation, its culture, right to this moment with you and I, the resurrection has shifted everything. And so today, together the cross and resurrection are history changing, they are paradigm shifting, they are life transforming, they are eternity defying events put together. And so I want us to think deeply about them today because not only are they meant to change everything, they're meant to shift everything for us as well. At the heart of the shift is the personal shift God wants to work in us. At the heart of all of this, at the crucifixion, at the resurrection, uh, at the heart of everything, at the heart of the human story is that God wants to work a personal shift in you and in me. That's what he wants to get done. An internal shift that reaches to the very core of our being. And it's, it's an internal shift that um, transforms, revolutionizes, whatever way you want to think about it, the way we see, the way we think, the way we live, just the way we go about the very rhythm of our lives. It's an internal shift that even redefines eternity. That's how big it is. That's how profound it is. It has an impact in this moment and it has an impact for all eternity. That's the kind of shift that God wants the crucifixion, the resurrection, the purpose of it to have on your life and mine. So what does the cross and the resurrection have to do with you? And what are you going to do about it? Let me read to you from the Bible. Uh, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he's talking about the resurrection. He says this, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ, wherever you see Christ, that means Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Here's the important bit in this. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or some of them have died. Then he appeared to James and the 12 apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. And it goes on. So let us think about this for a few moments this morning. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Paul is saying, so, hey, as we talk about the cross and as we talk about the resurrection, as we, I want you to know that this is of first importance. This is the highest priority. This is the center of everything. It's not just the center of our message. It's the center of history. It's the center of life. The line in the sand of the human story and of, the human, of human history, it's 2020 AD. And the reason it's 2020 is because Jesus, his life is the defining marker, the line in the sand for all of the human story. And he says, hey, this is of the highest importance. And this is what it is, that Christ died for our sins. Let me pause there. Because in his death, Jesus brings clarity to our confusion. I, I mean, I don't know what your greatest confusion is, but I think one of the great confusions that we would love clarity on in, in the, you know, maybe not admitting to our mates down the pub, but certainly in the privacy of our own thoughts and minds, is that we would like clarity around the confusion of am I right with God? 
am I right with God? And the cross and what Jesus accomplished there says, yes, everybody can be right with God. I receive what I pass on to your first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Till we recognize that our sin and that things need to be made right, the, the cross makes no sense. But in the moment, we recognize our sin. Can you do that today? In the moment, we recognize our sin and our need for it to be made right. The cross makes all sense. The cross changes everything when we recognize that in our life. At the cross, God satisfies the justice of a holy God. And at the cross, God extends to us the mercy of a gracious God, all encapsulated in the same thing. Justice satisfied and mercy extended at the cross of Christ. The cross is God's great exchange. I've written it like this. Jesus took our place in every way. Jesus was forsaken by God that we wouldn't have to be. He was forsaken for us then that we wouldn't be now. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Jesus takes our sin that we might be made right with God. Jesus tasted death for us that we might share in his life. Jesus being made a curse made it possible for us to live in blessing. Jesus taking on our shame made us able to share his glory. Jesus enduring rejection made what uh, made God's, uh, made it known that we were the included. Jesus being rejected, made it known that we were the included. Jesus exchanges his perfection for our corruption, that our corruption might know his perfection. It's an incredible, incredible event that took place at the cross, the great exchange. It took on everything that was ours so that we could have everything that was his. At the cross, in his death, Jesus brings clarity to our confusion Am I able to be right with God? And the answer comes emphatically from him. Yes, we can. And then it goes on and it says this. It says, um, he, uh, sorry, in his death, Jesus brings clarity. Yeah. And then it goes on and says this, um, that we will be with him in his resurrection and that he is the resurrected. He answers the question that I think life boils down to for a whole bunch of us, maybe for billions of us. Are the dead raised? We might not say it like that. We might say it like this. Is there life after death? Is this all there is or is there more? And with the resurrection, Jesus answers that emphatically, that not only is he risen, but everybody will be risen. That the resurrection is coming. The resurrection is coming. It's come for him. It's coming for you. It's coming for me. And he answers that emphatically, this question that it boils down to. Oh, the clarity of knowing that the resurrection is coming. And so then he, he goes on, and let me read it to you. Um, for I pass on to you that which I, uh, as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Goes on and says, after that he appeared to the five hundred, and then he appeared to James, and last of all he appeared to me being Paul. And so just thinking about this, all the still living witnesses and the others that are mentioned. I just want us to focus on the resurrection and, and the reality of it, given how these people lived uh, in the revelation of it. it. What I mean is this. The 12 apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And it says it here, that they, he appeared to them. What would it take for you to lie that the resurrection happened and to stay with it. Uh, the, the 12 paid heavy prices in their lives. 
most of them paid for believing in the resurrection with their lives. Not Jesus, not the cross, the resurrection. Most of them paid with their lives. How long would you hold on to a lie? Would you do it even to the point of death? I doubt it. I think even from an integrity perspective, most of us would give up a lie in the fullness of time and come to the point of the truth. Well, these 12 men went to their death because they would not deny that they'd seen the risen Christ. That speaks powerfully. I love what Charles Colson says about this. Charles Colson was a special counsel to President Richard Nixon during the Watergate period. He went to prison, prison for what happened and later became a committed follower of Jesus. He said this about the resurrection. I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proves it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. They would not have endured it if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And if you think about it, it's absolutely impossible. I think one of the great proofs of the resurrection is that for 40 years, 12 apostles were beaten, tortured, ridiculed, maligned, and most of them ultimately gave their life for the belief that Jesus was risen from the grave. And the only way you're holding to that truth is if you've seen the risen Christ in the flesh. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It talks about the 500. And, and as Paul's writing this, he says, and many of them are alive and with us today. I mean, if you're going to talk about the resurrection and you're going to mention the 500, either they need to be dead or they know that they saw Jesus. And again, these were people that suffered. These were people that were maligned and everything that goes with it. And then it talks about James, the brother of Jesus. I wonder what your sibling would have to do to prove to you that they are God in the flesh. I don't know that my brothers can do that for me. James starts out, with Jesus as a brother. But somewhere post the resurrection, he begins to call Jesus Lord. What happened that would make his earthly brother believe that this was God in the flesh, the saviour of the world? I'll tell you what it is. It's the resurrection from the dead. James believed. And then there's Paul. Paul went from the poster boy persecuting the church to the pioneer building it. How does a man who put Christians in prison go to become the one who would lead people to faith in Jesus. He witnessed the resurrection and that forever shifted something. Paul wrote it like this. And last of all, Jesus appeared to me also. He goes on to say, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. This guy, Paul, made a living persecuting believers and trying to destroy the church. That's what his life was all about. Paul hated Jesus. I mean, he hated. Hate's a strong word. He hated Jesus and he hated his followers. Paul was offended by Christianity. Paul was offended by the cross. Paul was offended by the idea that a man could come and take away the sins in the world. Paul was offended at the idea that there was no sacrifice needed for sin to continue. Paul was offended. Paul was offended by the idea and he was offended by the belief. He was part of the political and religious elite and was offended by the very idea of the Christian faith. 
And that same Paul is then writing to us and saying, but now I believe because I've seen the risen Jesus. Paul believed, didn't Paul persecuted until he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. He was stunned, literally in his journey, stopped in his tracks. And while it, while it humbled him, he couldn't have been more thankful for it. That's the incredible thing, is that Paul doesn't try to hold on to his past and, and dismiss God. He's going, no, no, Jesus did die. He was crucified. He is risen. What do I do with that? It doesn't matter where I come from. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter all I believed up to the very previous moment. Jesus is resurrected. He is risen from the grave, and I'm going to do something about that. And everything began to shift. Paul's conversion, plain and simple, is a fact and a result of the resurrection. And it shifted everything. He goes on to say this, talking about the resurrection in the same passage of Scripture. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. That's a pretty big statement. Hey, if Jesus isn't risen, your faith is a waste of time. Church on Sunday is a waste of time. Live stream, as good as it is, is a waste of time. It's all a waste of time unless Jesus is risen. And so then he goes on, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised. Bottom line, everything said and done. Jesus has been raised and that shifts everything. If there is no resurrection, we are living, uh, why are we living as though there was one? Equally, if there is a resurrection, why do we live as though there were none? Let me say it to you again. If there's no resurrection, why, why, why live as, there, as though there is one? But if there is a resurrection, and we absolutely believe there is, why would we ever live as though there's none? The resurrection is meant to change our life, whether I'm a believer or a thinker about Jesus. It's meant to transform our lives like it transformed Paul's. Nothing more, nothing less. You and I transformed from the inside out. That's what God wants to go on. That's what God wants to see happen by the power of what he's done. So what will we do with that? What will you do with this knowledge of his crucifixion and his resurrection? Here are three things that I see people do. Number one, some people are just going to reject it. Actually, in the same book of Corinthians, Paul writes that to some people, the, the cross and resurrection or the cross is foolishness. He actually says, to those who are perishing. He says, but to those who will believe, it is the good news. It is the hope of eternal life. There are some people that are going to reject Jesus as their response. There, there are some people that are going to, they're going to accept Jesus, but it's barely going to change them. And if that's you today, I want to talk to you as well because, because the crucifixion and the resurrection and all it was designed to do and God giving of His Spirit was meant to do something more than leave us believing and unchanged or believing and slightly changed. It was meant to transform the human heart and to transform the human life. You and I are to be a revolution in what's going, going on because of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then, you know, there are those who are completely, everything is shifted from this moment on. Listen to Paul talk about his life as we think about this a little more deeply today. I'm sure, I'm not sure, this is Galatians chapter one. He says, I'm sure that you've heard the story of my earlier life when I lived in the Jewish way. In those days, I went out 
persecuting God's church. I was systematically destroying it. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in my career. Even then, even then, God had designs on me. Why, when I was still in my mother's womb, think about that, he chose and called me out of sheer generosity. Now he has intervened and revealed his son to me so that I might joyfully tell non-Jews about him. Immediately after my calling, without consulting anyone around me and without going up to Jerusalem to confer with those who were apostles long before I was, I got, I got away to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus, uh, but it was three years before I went up to Jerusalem to compare stories with Peter. I was there only 15 days, but what days they were. Except for our master's brother James, I saw no other apostles. I'm telling you the truth about this. Then I began my ministry in regions of Syria and Cilicia. After all that time and activity, I was still unknown by face among the Christian churches in Judea. And then he says this, there was only this report. There was this headline floating around that the man who once persecuted us is now preaching the very message he used to try to destroy. Their response was to recognize and worship God because of me. This is Paul's account. Convinced of the crucifixion, convinced of the resurrection and the reasons for them, Paul determines his only option is total surrender. All the other cards are off the table. It's, it's, for Paul now, it's surrender or rebellion. And there's a line in the sand. There's surrender or rebellion as it relates to Jesus, the Lord of all, the crucified and resurrected King. And so it says, in those days, he talks about the days that were. But he says this, and I love this. He says, even then, God had designs on me. So you mean God had plans for me, even then. He chose me and he called me. And he goes on to say, while he was still in his mother's womb. And while we're here today, this is the reality of you and I being here. Whether we're a deeply devoted follower of Jesus, somewhere in between a thinker about Jesus at this stage who hasn't made that decision, wherever we are up to, uh, it's important we know this, try and take this in, that even then God had designs on you. Even then God had plans for you. Not the person next to you. Not the person who you know can quote the Bible at you. No, you. God had plans for you. When you were in your mother's womb, God had a plan and a purpose for your life. It was ordained then. Actually, he says, it was ordained before the foundation of the world. And it's culminated in this day when you and I live. He chose you and he called you. And why did he do it? Why did he do it? Given that you're not a ranger, given that you have no ranger history like me, given that you are not the chosen red-headed people of the planet that I used to be, given you, most of you, and none of those things, why did God do it? And Paul says it here, sheer generosity, just because he can, just because he loves you, just because his heart's towards you. That's why he did it. And surely that causes everything to shift for us. Absolutely everything. If you're a believer who is unchanged by the crucifixion and the resurrection and the name of Jesus, there is something to go on today and it starts with surrender. If you're a person thinking deeply about the one who came into the world, died for your sins, rose from the grave, is going to return for you one day, if that's him, come on. Today is a day to make a decision for Jesus, a day of surrender. And then he goes on and he says, he revealed his son to me. 
And this is what it all comes down to. Is, he, is, is it obvious to you that Jesus is who he says he is? Because if it is, it is like Paul for us. If it, if it is like that, what else is there to do? Paul was going his way and he was doing his thing and he thought he was right. And now he found himself, well, what option am I left? Jesus, you clearly are the resurrected Lord, the God eternal, the King immortal. You are the one from everlasting and you're the one who redeems my soul. Where are you up to today? You as a believer, you as a thinker, immediately is a word I want you to remember there because he immediately shifted. Oh, what I love about Paul, he was growing as an old man like he had as a young man. He never slowed down. He never got comfortable. He grew as an old man in his faith like he did as a young man. He had the same passion in his later confinement as he did in his early conversion. Oh, I love that thought. In his late confinement, Paul still had it beating within him, the God of the ages who was leading him by his spirit, who had appointed him since time before time began, who had anointed him in that moment, who was calling him home. Paul had the same passion in his later confinement as he did in his early conversion. Paul was for the church in the end like he was at the start. I wonder if that's you today. Are you for Jesus' church like you were at the start? Can you remember those days when you first walked in and you were blown away by the generosity of people, by the kindness of people, by the way they embrace you? Or have you got bitter in your heart? You know, a little bit critical of what's wrong with Billy over there. Don't worry about Billy. Let's get on and serve Jesus. Come on. Paul loved the church at the end as much as he did at the beginning. Let's not be those who, given the crucifixion, given the resurrection, given life eternal is coming, let's not be those who pull back, the Bible says, but let's be those who press forward. The crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus being Lord, left Paul without any choice. He's like, I'm going for God as long as I live. Paul was for the church in the end, like he was at the start. Paul was on mission in his decline as much as he was in his prime. How are you going with that one? Those of you who are very old and no longer in your 40s and in the prime of life, how are you going with that? Everything shifted for Paul and then it just never stopped. That's what he wants your story to be. That's what he wants my story to be. Now listen to the end of what he said as we come to a close on this message. He says, there was this report that the man who once, we talked about that, and his old life, is now and it's this person that's actually unrecognizable with his history apart from his personality and his intellect and physical appearance the person who is now is unrecognizable with the person who was same personality same brilliant intellect same average looks by the way we read scripture all of that unchanged but everything about Paul was changed other than that to the core of his being that the report. I wonder what the report is for you. What's the report around your life? There was a report. The person who was once, and I wonder the person who was once is a report of us different now because that's the incredible transformation God wants to bring in our lives. Not weird, powerful, profoundly changed transformed from the inside out. So let, let me close with three things. If you're a deeply devoted follower of Jesus, a, deep, a deeply devoted believer in him, if you're a believer but you're barely changed by it, 
And if you're a thinker taking it all in, I want to speak to the same, all three groups with the same thing as we we wrap today. To the devoted believer, you know, probably doing a great job, but there'll be something right now that given the crucifixion, given the resurrection, there's something right now for all of us probably to cut loose, like to let it go or something to take hold of in our future, something for us to step into, something for us to step out on. I don't know what it is for your wonder, given the crucifixion, given the resurrection, given who Jesus is. There's a surrender for us to make ourselves today. Hey, if you're a believer but barely changed by it, is it time? Well, it is time. But you can ask the question, is it time to get your own report happening? A report that you know, is different from what was and what will be. And I'd suggest it's time to surrender. Oh, it's good to believe. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble. Let's be those who believe and are transformed. Everything shifting. And number three, the thinker. And I've not even, you know, you've not even drawn a line in the sand yet, but you believe in Jesus today. Today's the day to surrender to him. It's time to surrender. So let me close with this and then a final prayer. Today's a day to draw a line in the sand. Just like the year 2020 is a line in the sand back when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, line in the sand of time before and after everything shifted. Just in Paul's life, there was a line in the sand before he knew Jesus, after he knew Jesus and everything shifted. My own life, there's a line in the sand of 21 years of age where everything absolutely shifted as I took a prayer of surrender and have been making the same decision since. There's lots of people watching today and in the room today who have made that decision. And, and I want to ask all of us, wherever we're at, just to surrender all over again. The devoted believer, whatever that is for you. For the believer who's barely changed, whatever that surrender is for you. And for the thinker who acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus has come, that He did die for your sins and he is resurrected from the grave so are you ready to pray that prayer you ready to pray that prayer let's pray heavenly father thank you for every person here today lord wherever we're up to we just come with surrender given the crucifixion given the resurrection given that jesus is the savior of the world and the lord of all We come today and we say, we surrender all. I surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.